lie from the empire of lies, an oasis of truth, open debate, and free speech in the vast wasteland that is the New World Order under Joe Biden. This is the Vax Story. So, Rod, a Friday show. We made it to Friday, and you got a great show for us today. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself, Lee? Good. And I've got a story I'll bet you won't like, because I, I think I know you by well by now, Rod. If I tell you coming up, I'm going to talk about how election season has started. There's like four or five states you can vote in starting today. You don't like that. You want elections to be a day, right? Yeah, we've had uh, Fiorella Isabella on, and she was in, uh, I believe, Guatemala or Ecuador. I forget which one she was in, where they only do election on, you can only vote on election day, from, you know, from one time to an end, end time, and that's how it should be here. Well, and that's how it is over in, although it's a four-day election, but Fiorella is over in Russia now, and she was talking about the big story today, obviously, is the referendums. Donbass. The referendums are taking place over four days, but voter ID, paper ballots, it's a transparent. Sound good, Rod? They have better elections in Donbass than we do in America. Is that fair to say? Uh, that's more than fair to say, Lee. Uh, here in uh, Pennsylvania, they were questioning that the, uh, a dem- I think it's a Democrat of, uh, in a certain county here is questioning the uh, Dominion voting machines, which I guess wasn't allowed, but now it's allowed if you're a Democrat. Right. It was allowed, then it wasn't allowed when help Biden get elected or whatever he was. I don't know what to call it that because I don't think Biden was legitimately elected. So, appointed, is that fair to say? Pushed into office, I would say. Dragged into office. Yes. Dragged, wheeled in, possibly. He's not quite there yet, but it's coming. Uh, but we'll talk about more about the referendums, and they're a big deal. And thank God that referendums, after eight long years, the people of Donbass get to vote on their future. And the people have been showing up in droves and waving Russian flags. Have you seen that, Rod? Oh, yeah. So I've seen that on social media, Lee, but you're not going to see it here in America. No. In fact, going over the headlines today, I heard nothing about the referendums. Did you? Nope. In mainstream media, did you hear one thing that people in Donbass are voting? Uh, no, a couple of days ago I did, but they, uh, that the fact that these are going to be sham elections and not recognized... Because they don't have good images. They have people who want to join Russia. And that is completely against the media narrative. But we'll talk more about that in a second. We have on the show today, great show. First hour, our guest is the great Ian Schilling, coming to us from the UK. Ian is always on top of things. And the other thing I saw in England that I want to talk to him about did you see the nuclear convoy driving around England? No, I missed that, Lee. I must, I missed, okay. I must missed that. So the great Syrian girl, Maram Sisley, had had footage of all these British military trucks. Apparently, it's a nuclear convoy containing warheads driving around England. Nothing to fear there, right? 
Oh, no, no, not at all. It's all it's perfectly safe when uh, Liz Trust is, in, is uh, in charge. Yes, and we'll talk about that and more with Ian. Then we'll talk about some domestic issues. Did you see the new Hunter Biden water slide video? No, I didn't see it, Lee. I did not. You missed that? Make sure you check it out. Because he rented a place that's like four grand a month. No, forgive me. I misspoke. Four grand a night. He rented a place in Malibu that's like an Airbnb for someone who's got four grand a night. Now, if you were in a place and the place has a water slide, but honest to God, it's not huge, but it's decent size, about a story and a half, I'd say. So if you'd ever wanted to see a grown man buck naked going down a water slide, look for that. And even if you don't want to see it, because I kind of want to get your reaction. So look up Hunter Biden water slide on Twitter. But you know, when there's Hunter Biden sliding naked down a water slide, we've got to talk to his former neighbor, Tyler Nixon, in the second hour. Do you think Tyler will have something to say about that? Uh, <laughs> I think he's. I think he's. I think he's tired of seeing these videos of uh, his old pal Hunter. Now, see. By the way, this is something Hunter could have hurt his taint. And if you don't know what that means, don't look it up because you don't want to be. You you don't want to know. But and we're taking your calls, and we'll have some stuff because we're going to be talking about that freaky T-shirt in Canada. And uh, so Owl Killer will be sure to want to get in on that. And he can at 202-521-1320. That's all coming up today on The Backstory. So first off, I want to congratulate the people of Donbass on being able to vote at long last on joining Russia. And there's so many happy people playing music and getting ready to cast their ballots. Now, I'm not, but it's nowhere in the mainstream media. But look it up. You'll see it. And you'll see footage you can't fake. But footage you can't fake, what the media is talking about, and they actually admitted this on Twitter yesterday. They said they talked about the people fleeing Russia. All the people fleeing. Now, the, Russia has issued through Putin a partial mobilization. And we had Mark Sabota on the show. And he said, we asked him, do you predict overwhelming support or just a lot of people supporting? And he said, just a lot of people. There are some people who oppose military action with Ukraine. So he was very honest about that. And he said that right here on Sputnik. You heard it, right, Rod? Yep. I did hear him. I think that was on Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. So someone came on, let's say you said, and you wouldn't because you're very honest. But if you said, no one in Russia is opposed to military action in Ukraine. No one. Everyone's all in favor of it. I'd say that's not true. We've reported differently here. So I'm not saying that some people aren't opposed to it and may be leaving some people but also did you see the giant rally fiorella isabel posted a picture of like 50,000 people pro russia and pro russia military action against ukraine 
Did you see that footage? Yeah, I did see that footage, Lee. Yeah, I saw I saw Fiorella posted it, and uh, you know it's amazing to see, but it's um, it's also amazing that it's almost like it's not even happening as far as here. I'm pretty sure even in uh, in the UK, where we're going to talk with Ian, you know they don't want to show you to you. They're, it's you know they treat it like it's the 1950s, like you'd have to have a radio and listen to it or something. And I wouldn't mind the the media. I would hate them less. I'll be honest. It's okay to have an angle. If the media started and they emphasized that some people were leaving Russia to avoid conscription, I'd be fine with that. If then they said, on the other hand, a major rally in Moscow today, 50,000 people. Does that make sense? In other words, give both sides. You can emphasize both any, any side you want. I'm fine with a little spin, but I'm opposed to lying and lying by omission. Does that make sense, Rod? Oh yeah, no, hundred percent, Lee. I was at the uh, I was at the Eagles game on Monday, Monday night against the Vikings, and I think the the stadium holds like seventy four thousand people. It was sold out. That'd be like them saying, like, yeah, a few people showed up to the Eagles game. But that that's a good example. You can have a rooting interest. You can like one team or another. I'm fine with that. But there's no reason to lie completely about the other team. There's no reason if you're a Red Sox fan, as I am, and you don't like the Yankees, to say, well, the Yankees have taken the field with automatic weapons if they didn't. But by the way, the Yankees might. But I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. But it's okay to have a spin. It's okay to have a bias. Everyone does. And it's okay to present that. But try to present balance. Try to present at least what the other side thinks. That's actually what I do on this show. When we have a guest who's from the left, I let them present their opinion. And I'll say where I disagree. But, you know, I try to present both sides fairly. And I think we do a pretty good job. I'm going to once again pimp the show and tell people, if you like what we're laying down, tell people about it. Like us on social media and and retweet or whatever you do to share on social media. But I think we do appreciate- subscribe on Rumble, too. Subscribe on Rumble, too. Yeah, thanks, Rod. But I think we do a pretty good job at presenting what people say they want, which is a balance. Do you think so, Rod? Yeah, no, 100%. Lee, like I was saying uh, yesterday, you know, that's what uh, attracted me to fault lines. You know, you and Garland um, think have some type of uh, commonality on, on certain ideas, but then on other ideas you differ. And it's interesting hearing, you know, your side, his side, and a guest who might fit in the middle or swing another way. So, you know, it was interesting. And, uh, yes, and, and I, I thought that was a very good show when it was in his prime. When Garland and I, when the disagreements didn't get too disagreeable, it was a very good show. But, uh, well, I don't even ascribe that to Garland. I've noticed people on the left tend to get, they tend to agree with diversity of thought to a certain extent. But at a certain point, they get off the train. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would say so, uh, especially nowadays. Uh, like, your immigration would be one thing, you know. Uh, if you're a part of a certain uh, political uh, group 
and if you know, and they say, you know, we're kind of open to open borders or letting as many people in as possible, and let's, you know, you personally, you're not, you're not going to stand against your political group if you're on the left, because then they're going to ostracize you. Well, another issue, which is similar, is gender issues, and why are gender issues issues? I I don't get it. It's weird to me. It's bizarre that we live in a time when gender issues are an actual issue. But let's talk about that freaky teacher up in Canada. Now, Al Killer, I'm sure we'll want to get on this. This is another case of coincidence, or is God trying to tell you something? Did you hear? So first off, we talked yesterday about the teacher in Ontario with the exploding milk boobs. The freaky, way too big breast implants. Is that fair to say, Rod? Yeah, the prosthetics, yeah. They're just yes. a, par- a parody of a woman's breast. Yes, that's a good way to put it. And if you haven't seen it, we're not, we're not wrong. We're not being insulting. This is really, this is way beyond, let's say, Dolly Parton. Fair to say? Yeah, that's a good comparison. Bigger than Dolly Parton's, yeah. That's a great comparison. But it's way beyond that, right? Yeah, I would say at least double, because, yeah, Dolly Parton's is down to her abdomen. This guy's, like, down to his knees. Right, and and it's very disturbing. But the school up there in Ontario sided with him. They said they don't want to talk about it anymore. Did you see that? Yeah, I did see that, Lee. And, uh, you know, I make fun of Canada, not that, you know, like like in a bullying way, but just the fact that, I, I you know, I feel like I call Canada, not to disrespect them, but it's like you could tell it's like a feminist country because why would you side with something so crazy and sick like this in front of children? And the video, a lot of the video of him was taken by children, by students who didn't like it. And by the way, let me be gender fair here. I would oppose a female teacher who did the same thing, but they wouldn't because no woman is that insane. Because women know what a pain in the ass boobs can be. I, I, I like boobs, but have you heard women complain about them sometimes? Oh uh, yeah, of course, Lee. I've had um, I've had girlfriends with um, a nice size breast, and you know, I talk about back pain and, and things like that. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, women with uh, I'll, I'll agree, nice size breasts. And I'm not sure what you're talking about, but I think I know, Rod, because uh, you know we're guys. So women with nice size breasts have complained to me too. They've said. Oh, God, it's like carrying a backpack in front. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to have such ridiculously sized ones, it's like an American tourist suitcase in front. And I don't think a woman, I, I really don't. Do you think any woman would get breasts that freaking big? Um, No, 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 no. And like you said, just no, no, just no. Now, here's the part that Owl Killer will get on. Want to get on coincidence or God? So they supported him, and that teacher's all over the news. And now today, a hurricane rapidly is headed towards Canada. Did you see that? Fiona is rapidly heading towards Canada. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. 
Now, coincidence or God laughing? Could you see where that could go either way, Rod? No, for sure, definitely. But you know, hurricanes gonna hurt people, so it's not gonna hurt the uh, maybe it's not gonna hurt supporters of this. You know, you don't know who it's gonna hit if it does affect uh, Canada if it stays strong enough. So it's supposed to make landfall by tonight, but Fiona, a, a hurricane, is headed towards Canada, and it's going to hit the Newfies in Newfoundland first. But I don't think it's going to get much into Ontario, but it could affect that teacher's breast either way, even in Newfoundland. Does that make sense, Ron? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, that, that, that's just, it's just... It's just so wild to me, Lee, you know, because, you know, again, you know, not to make you feel old, but I'm younger than you. And this is like just not that long ago when I was a kid, this, you know what I mean? Like it would have been like pitched and forks in, in certain neighborhoods. Go like, yo, you need to get out of here with that. Trying to teach that to kids or or bring that around children. But now it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, to me, it's because of like social media, the Internet, it's kind of made even men a little bit more docile because we're not even standing up against this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's why someone like Tucker Carlson speaking up against this consistently is good. Now, I'm going to play a clip. This is a person who spoke at a meeting in California, uh, apparently in L.A. somewhere. And I thought this laid out passionately and very articulately a lot of the issues that are, are affecting parents on these trans issues. Did you agree, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure, Lee. Um, when I was an EMT, I used to go to a, a dialysis center in Cobbs Creek out in um, southwest Philly. And uh, I had a, f a friend that I made there. His name was George. And you know, George was an openly gay man. And George wasn't for any of this stuff. Last time you know, last time I spoke, all this stuff that uh, we haven't spoken about like t over 10 years or whatnot. But all this stuff that we're seeing now was heavily against. And he's just, you know, a, a, a proud gay man and whatnot. So, But he just... It's offensive to him and offensive to his people he's associated with. And again, I don't really think it's a gender issue because if a woman teacher got uh, it's one got that I I don't know what to call it, but got that a woman teacher would not be this guy could have done certain stuff within the bounds of reasonable, but he went beyond it, and it's almost like the Supreme Court says on pornography. I can't define it, but I know when I see it. Does that make sense, Ron? No, for sure, definitely. So as soon as you have to stop and go, what am I looking at? It's too much. So let's hear the first clip. Let's hear a parent talking at a school board meeting. And I think this sums up a lot of the issues. Hit it. Good evening. My name is Mario Presents, and I'm here as a representative from Gays Against Groomers Coalition with over 250,000 followers across social media and as the uncle of two students in your district. It has come to our attention that the district intends to teach transgenderism to children under the age of 10 without parental consent. If I were to teach your child about my sexuality without your consent or involvement, I'd be arrested. But when the school district does it, it's education. Districts are teaching transgenderism when they should be teaching science, math, and language. Instead, teachers are hiding student pronouns from their parents under the guise of gender affirmation. Can you imagine the uproar if schools were evangelizing or baptizing children without parental consent? Isn't that sort of what you're doing? 
You don't tuck these children in at night. You don't teach them to stand up to bullies. You don't pay their medical bills. And you certainly don't hold their hands in the hospital. These parents do. Simple truths based in science need to be upheld for our society to flourish. The gross indoctrination we're seeing is creating a lifetime of medication and hormones because you can't simply pause puberty. Men cannot become women and sex chromosomes are encoded into the fabric of our DNA. Simply affirming a teenager's gender is akin to affirming anorexia. Both are body dysmorphic disorders, yet we don't teach the starving teenagers how to binge and purge or affirm that they are indeed overweight. However, school districts, including yours, seem to have no issue secretly teaching girls that they can be boys because they feel uncomfortable in their bodies. A grown adult woman can't get a hysterectomy without extensive medical forms and doctor's visits, but Dr. Safir over the hill in Sherman Oaks is willing to do top and bottom surgery, sterilizing children for life. Parents must be a part of the education process when teaching sexuality to students, and it definitely doesn't need to happen under the age of 10 years old. So I want to play the clip because I thought it was a summary, and these issues aren't going anywhere. People are going to keep talking about them, and ultimately, I think, Rod, the parents are going to win. No, yeah, hundred percent. The only reason I brought up uh, George is because I, um, I never, I didn't see this clip until you sent it to me. But you know, obviously, he's gays against grooming. That's his organization. He's an openly gay man, and you know, this is this defeats the whole establishment globalist narrative that you know they make it seem like well, if you're part of the LGBTQ or you know the, the gay community, that you're also with this agenda. You know, so they don't they hide people like this from you from ever hearing or seeing this. That's that's right. Don't say gay is their rule. Don't mention that a lot of gay people have huge problems with this. This is not the LGBT. Once you start to get past about four letters into I and the question mark, it started to get weird for people who are gay or lesbian, I guess, or bisexual. You notice they never there's no political movement for bisexuals, really. Because it's, mo- it's mainly women, Lee, that's why. <laughs> right, right. So I've read. That, that's my personal experience, too. But uh, be, be, I think also a lot of people don't like, you know, they talk about how it's a cliche almost that women become bisexual in college. And I can affirm a, that. I can, no, I can affirm that, Lee. There's a lot of reasons for that. I've heard of girls who become lesbian in college because they don't want to be lonely and they want to have sex with someone, but they don't want to be dealing with guys, college-age guys. Have you heard of women who do that as a way of basically avoiding college-age men in college? No, um, maybe that's a cultural thing, but no, I, I hear it differently because... Uh just, you know, I hear experimenting or in different sports, um, like basketball, definitely basketball, as you can see in the WNBA, uh, you know, it's more prevalent and, um, these different groups on college campuses, you know, kind of attracts girls who are questioning, uh, their sexuality. And also because you're around a bunch of adults, you know, people who are 18 or 19, they are and drink, adults. 
And drinking and, and drinking and drugs uh, also <laughs> adds to that. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, let's talk to Ian. My Ma- well, oops, Ian Schilling. I almost said Ian Miles Strong. Cause I follow on Twitter, but we haven't talked to you in a while. Wrong, Ian. Ian Schilling is online from London. Let's take a short break, and we'll talk to him on this edition of the Backstory. backstory and on the radio in Washington DC on 105.5 FM AM 1390. Joining us now is a great friend of the show, Ian Schilling from London, UK. Hey Ian, how you doing? Hi Lee, great to talk again. Great to talk to you. Now I don't know if you saw the footage, so I'm gonna ask you about it right off the top. Did you see the n- nuclear convoy riding around England? Oh, well, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, they, they do that from time to time. There's pictures like that that come out from time to time that they shift nuclear weapons around, so I don't think that's a big deal. Okay, so so I should not worry, because I, I don't like the idea of Liz Truss's finger anywhere near the nuclear button. So no, I get neither a do I. Yes, neither do I. But, I mean, she wouldn't start, she wouldn't launch nuclear missiles just like that. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, they could be practicing and, and, you know, doing training exercises and whatever else. I don't know what they're doing, but, you know, they're, they're obviously, they're obviously going to be on a higher state of alert than they were two years ago, aren't they? Yeah, j- uh, j- they should be just because Liz Truss is in there. And <laughs> so, but she's very inexperienced. And I also... You, are you following the elections in Donbass, the referendums? Well, I'm, I know they're, they're, they've started today. They're going to go on for a few days, and then we get results in two or three days' time, aren't we? And they seem to me to be, from what I've seen, from what I've observed, to be a good example of what elections should be. They, they seem like they've got some controls on it. There's voter ID and there's paper ballots, for instance, but it's free and fair elections. And the media is not covering in the West, of course, because they don't like the results of it. But the reason I raise that is because you have a leader in the UK, Liz Truss, who, in fact, did not come in through a democratic process, sort of, kind of. And you can correct me if you think I'm overstating it. But Liz Truss was not voted in by the people, right? No, she it was, was, it was the election the of 300,000 Tory members or however many there are, yeah. 300,000 out of 60 million people in the UK, yeah. That's not, that's not a democratic election, is it? <laughs> so it'd be like if our next election in America, the people were decided by the Democratic National Committee instead of a vote of the people. Now, yeah. if there was a vote of the people with the 60 million people in in England, do you think Liz Truss would have been the prime minister? Definitely if not. If she had no. faced a democracy. 
No, of course you wouldn't. No, not not in a pop, not in a proper free and fair election. No, but but I mean, I don't know of any country in the world that's operating free and fair fair elections. Not anywhere in Europe or America or or, or Australia or the West or anywhere. They're, they're all they're all rigged, and the media's biased, and and there's all all. Um, election fraud and voter fraud and whatever else uh, none none of the elections in any any western country is free and fair well the ones in Dumbos look pretty good Do, well i i mean i couldn't say i couldn't say i because i i mean i you, you really need to be on the ground to understand what's going on i think to uh, to know yeah. but yeah i mean and, if they're using voter voter id and using paper ballots and not electronic machines that's a damn good start Right. And that's it's interesting. You you in England have a lot of the same concerns that people in America have. For instance, voting machines on the pandemic. You had a lot of the same concerns people in the U.S. had. And uh, it's very interesting, Ian. You'd agree with a lot of people over here who are, you know, I actually you've been on a show so many times. I don't know this. How do you characterize yourself politically? Left, right, what are you? <laughs> free markets and freedom. A free market what? Free markets and freedom. Individual freedom. Okay, good. So what I'd say in America, that would be libertarian. Does that make sense? Are, well, are you sort of, aware yes. of what libertarians are? Yeah. Because libertarians are not really a thing in England, right? That's not oh, it's very tiny, yes. Very, very tiny, yes. They're not really mentioned either. Because I once had to explain to a British person what the who the libertarians were. And his name you may have heard of him, Johnny Lydon. Johnny Rotten was on oh, yeah. tonight show. Was on tonight's show. And I talked to him. And Ron Paul was on the same show. And he came up to me to bum a cigarette. And so, can you picture it? <laughs> so Johnny Lydon wanted to get a cigarette. And he said to me, who's Ron Paul? And I said, I explained it to him. And he'd never heard of a libertarian. But, uh, but now, Johnny Lydon's also an example of a guy who, of course, the height of rebellion at one point in the late 70s and early 80s, a punk, but now he's become almost, uh, you know, he's gotten in trouble lately for being yeah, politically well, outspoken. Well, he's certainly upset the, the establishment. I mean, when he was doing his punk thing, he was he didn't really upset the establishment. But then he went on TV and said a couple of things that the establishment didn't like. So then he was persona non grata. But yeah, while while he was doing all these punk songs and God Save the Queen and taking taking the Mickey out of all family and whatever else, he was all right because he wasn't rocking the boat. But then as soon as he started saying things that that rocked the foundations of the establishment, then he became persona no grato. He wasn't invited onto British TV anymore and stuff like that. So that's what that's what they do. I mean, they can't. The establishment position, they can't argue with logic and debate, so they have to exclude the people that are, that are arguing against it. So, I mean, how, 
how many times has Ron Paul appeared on American mainstream TV lately? You know, he just doesn't get invited, does he? Yeah, not enough. They, they pretend he doesn't exist, probably. And the two other British celebrities, well, kind of three, but the two are Morrissey and John Cleese. Have you noticed they've come under a lot of fire? Yeah. Well, they've spoken out about about the um, wokeism and the, the lack of free speech and whatever else, haven't they? I mean, the, the whole thing. The whole thing is just just moving, moving, moving towards totalitarianism. You, I mean, all this wokeism and the censorship and the cancellations. If you speak out, uh, I mean, it's horrible. I mean, it's more like a dictatorship. I mean, the West is more like a totalitarian dictatorship than democracy. No, no, right. And under the guise of being liberalism. So yeah, they're the and, opposite of liberalism, though, aren't they? I mean, classical liberalism was individual rights. They're, they're the exact opposite of it. You've got to be in group thing. Classical liberalism was all, all about debate and arguments and, you know, talking things through if you had disagreements. Right? That's, I mean, that's, that's what classical liberalism was. You had debates. But now, you get, now if you've got a dissenting opinion, you get shut out and censored and suppressed, don't you? You get cancelled. Now, it's, it's Morsi and John Cleese also got in trouble for noticing that London was changing. And I, I mean, I don't, I heard recently they said 40% of London is now white. 40%. And that's a big change from decades past. Right, Ian? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course it is. Yes. And it depends on what areas of London, because, I mean, certain areas of London are still predominantly white. And uh, other areas of London are predominantly black or Asian. But it depends on where yeah. area of London are. I mean, but it's just like New York. I mean, there's certain black areas in New York and there's white areas in New York. Isn't Manhattan's white and Harlem is black and whatever. Well, I saw in London recently, and this gets into a recent headline, about fights going on between Hindus and Muslims in London. What, what's going on it's with that? Leicester. I don't think it's in London. It's been in Leicester and a few other places in the Midlands. I, it's, for, I haven't seen anything in London. You know, that's that's my ignorance of British geography. When I said Leicester, I don't know where that is. So I just assumed that was a neighborhood or something like that. But you're Midlands, saying it's Leicester. Okay, so Leicester, what's going Leicester on here, Ian? the largest Asian population, I think, in the UK. Percentage. And what's the row? Well, they're just they're just clashing on uh, in the streets. I mean, Hindus and Muslims are, are antagonistic in other areas as well. They're antagonistic in India, aren't they? And places uh, places where where the uh, the two groups uh, you know meet. So it's not surprising. I mean, they they don't like each other. So it's the same thing that goes on in India and Pakistan, yeah. or, or areas like that. Yeah. Oh, Kashmir. Right. But did you think that those issues between Hindus and Muslims would be a big issue in England? Is it somewhat surprising you say that happening in the UK? Well, it's, it is surprising because it didn't happen until recently. I mean, there's fights with machetes on the streets. Right? People wielding machetes, trying, trying to, you know, cut people's arms off in the streets. 
And I'm is that for like because guns are outlawed, so they they have big knives or machetes. Now, uh, and what do politicians? She's called a conservative, but Liz Truss, what does she say about those issues? I haven't seen her mentioning them. They try and sweep it under the carpet. I mean, the British media aren't reporting much on it. They're trying to sweep it under the, under the carpet because multiculturalism and diversity is all good, isn't it, according to the globalists? And not just with the liberals, not just with the people who call themselves leftists. The conservatives suck up that multiculturalism thing, don't they, Ian? Yeah. Yeah, well, they haven't done anything to stop all the illegal immigrants crossing the channel. There's still hundreds or a thousand a day crossing the channel in dinghies and, and being shepherded in by the, uh, by the British Navy or the Royal National Lifeboat Institute. They're not sending them back to France. They're not turning the boats back or anything. So, you know, there's more and more coming over. I mean, it's costing the country billions a year now. I don't know how many tens of thousands have arrived in the UK this year, but, you know, it's been, there's lots. And they're all being put up in hotels in, in places at taxpayers' expense. Yes, very similar to what's happening here in yeah. America. A lot of these issues. Now, this gets into the nature of my ignorance about geography over there. But I found out recently that after this referendums, if they go the way I expect them to go, which is those parts of Donbass joining Russia, that will take the land area of Ukraine down and it will make France the second. Right now, the largest country in Europe is Russia. The second largest is Ukraine. I didn't know this. The third, and will be the second, is France. I had no idea France was so big. Yeah. See how stupid I am? <laughs> well, I don't know. France has got a big area. But the most important thing about this, with 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 um, Putin mobilizing the reservists, they can be mobilize 300,000 reservists, which will be mostly for the army, but they'll also make available 250,000 current conscripts to be deployed in Ukraine. So instead of the 200,000 troops they've currently got in, in Ukraine fighting the war, Russia could suddenly increase it to 700,000, which is massive. Right, so it will it will it will just be a game changer on you know because Russia's problem isn't the equipment or anything they they had too little manpower from the start they they had an invading force that was smaller than the defensive force which is never a good idea so they needed more men from the beginning but now they've suddenly upped it and increased it with two hundred thousand to seven hundred thousand it's going to make a massive amount of difference so. When these people get deployed, it's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to happen next two months or something. Then that's going to make a hell of a difference, right? It's, you know, that all these all these regions are going to going to vote to rejoin or become part of Russia, right? So they'll then be Russian territory, and all the conscripts can de be deployed anywhere in Russia. So now you see with. Some of the people, some people leaving Russia, some people, I don't know how many, less than the media is making it out. A lot of European leaders are saying they'll welcome those Russians if they want to flee Russia 
not going to combat in the Ukraine uh, action and want to become part of, let's say, Finland or Germany. And I think Russia's attitude will be good riddance. I think the attitude, because I saw a video, I don't know if you saw this clip, it was protesters out on the street and a Russian girl came up to them and yelled, yelled at them. Did you see that footage by any chance? No. So it was very good. I mean, there's been protests for and against it. I mean, I don't know. There's been seems to be more, more bigger protests in favour of Putin's move than protests against it. And but there's been I, I some think, and some. And, and no, some of the European countries are saying they're not going to take the, the Russians, and some of them are. So Germany says that they might, but Czech Republic and the Baltic states says they won't. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Right. I mean, why why would the European countries want to take Russians that are fleeing fleeing Russia? I don't know. Now, do you think that by Putin taking the special military action, and by the West reaction, that the face of Europe is re- going to change forever? Do you think we're not going to go back to the old what, what we had a few months ago? Well, the entire world's is changing, isn't it? It's not just, I mean, Indeed. the face of Europe is going to change. Ukraine, Ukraine is going to dramatically change because it's going to lose a large amount of area, large amount of territory. And the face of Europe is going to change. I mean, I mean, it's, it's going to start biting this winter when the first cold snap comes on and there's no gas to heat the houses up. Then, then there's going to be real trouble. Now, what are they telling you to do in England to prepare for the winter? Are they giving any advice? Yeah, they say cut down on your energy consumption. <laughs> As if that's going to do any good. So, <laughs> so freeze. Well, well, I mean, I don't know how bad it's going to going to get, but I'm I'm getting pretty worried that the you know the gas supply is going to get cut off and it's going to get bloody cold. I don't know. I mean, if the gas supply gets cut off, we've got no choice, and the electricity gets cold. And how are you dealing, seeing this, these sanctions that Europe and England have put on Russia have affected things? I know petrol. It's much more expensive, correct? Well, it's come down a bit, but yes, it's still quite a bit higher than it was. It's about thirty percent higher than it than it was before. But it's the electricity prices that are going to hit. They haven't gone up yet, but they're going to go up in sometime in October or the end of October, and people are suddenly going to going to be paying a hell of a lot more for their electricity. And that's going that's going to that's going to come home to roost when the first electricity bills start arriving in three months' time or something. So it's not going to kick off yet, but it's not far off. Sort of, you know, three months' time, Christmas time. Ah, brilliant. Now, do people, you think, know it's, this is coming, or has the media kept people in the dark enough where a lot of people in England are in denial? What do you think? They Andy? don't know how serious it is. They're not letting on to people how serious it's going to be this winter. No. So it will be a shock to some people. It will be a shock to most people, yes. And what do you think the reaction is going to be? Do you think they're finally... Because England is capable of doing some big protests occasionally. I've seen some big protests. But uh, lately, like, there's a guy 
who at the tennis match set his arm on fire. Did you see that? Yeah, it's pathetic. <laughs> Brainwashed nut job. It's got no sympathy. Right. Because of, of climate change. Because <laughs> climate set your arm on fire. And not a good protest. But do you think England is going to get to the point, if things get really bad, where they will actually take to the street? I, I'd say well, it's I think, possible. I, I think that's going to happen early next year. I mean, it's already kicking off in a number of European countries, isn't it? The Dutch are protesting, the Germans are protesting, Italians are protesting, burning their heating bills, the Spanish are protesting, Brussels had a 10,000 protest against the energy prices, etc. this weekend. So it's kicking off all over Europe. I mean, the Brits are going to be slow to join, but by, you know, three months' time or January, February next year, they'll be really feeling it. So then they'll start... They'll start that those there'll be things kicking off by then. Now, uh, what's been? How's the media reacting? Of course, Putin had his big speech, and then announced the partial mobilization. How how's the UK media been covering that, Ian? Are they saying that Putin's desperate? Putin's losing, and he's desperate, and it's about to use nuclear weapons. <laughs> I mean, Putin should have done this. Done this. A while ago, he should have done it three, four, five months ago. So, right, but better late than never. So, it, I, I mean, as I said, it's going to be a complete game changer if they if they suddenly triple the amount of troops that they've got fighting in Ukraine, then that's that's re- a really big deal because Ukraine's on its on its last legs. I mean, as you said to me the last time I was on that the 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 draft age is just up to seventy years old in Ukraine, seventy. So, yes. you know, they really, they, I mean, the Ukrainians are desperate for manpower. I mean, they're running out, aren't they? You know, fit for military duty men, they, 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 they've got a shortage. So they're going to they're gonna be in increasing trouble. And Russia's just like, suddenly going to add loads. And this is this is only the first one. I mean, if Russia needs to, they could, they could draft another 300,000 in three months if they think it's necessary, couldn't they? Because that wouldn't be difficult either. So, you know, the Russians have got, got almost unlimited manpower that they could call on. Obviously, the more people they call up, the more public dissent there'd be against it. And that's what they're trying to balance, isn't it? But, I mean, 300,000 is just a pinprick of what they could could call up. So, you know, the Russians will call up as many as many as it will take now. So it's 300,000 now and 250,000 conscripts that they can use. But then, you know, if to two or three months' time they think they need more, they could they could call up another 300,000 just by that. Right. And as I talked about with Scott Ritter yesterday, the nature of people who are fighting, as you point out, in Ukraine, they're taking people up to 70 years old. So the big guy... To, Who's sixty-five versus a Russian military reservist? Yeah. So yeah, and they, you know the, the people the Ukraine's calling up got no military experience whatsoever. But you know the the ones that Russia's calling up have been through the conscription, they've been through all the basic training, and most of them have been in the army for a while, haven't they? So they they you know they might not have combat experience, but they you know they they train troops. 
they trained previously how to fire a gun, how to do drills, how to obey orders, how to organise a, a squadron or a battalion or and you know, operate tanks or whatever else they've been trained to do. Now, again, you hear none of this in the media, though. They, they, this is the truth, and the media never presents this stuff. Have you noticed that, Ian? Yeah, well, they they don't want to go into details because you know, Ukraine's calling up shop workers and carpenters and, you know, pipe fitters and whatever else, aren't they? And Russians are calling up people who've got military experience. So there's a world of difference. Now, I, what I'm always surprised by in England is there does not seem to be a politician who represents people like you. Am I correct that there's no politician... Uh, who step up and saying the plain reality a lot of people know in England? Yeah, well, there isn't. There just there isn't anybody. No, I mean, Nigel Farage is about the closest we've come. But, but I mean, he's militaristic as well. So I don't, you know, I don't like his attitude about about the wars and whatever. But I mean, he's about the closest we got. But he's got. I mean, as we haven't got a democracy, he's got no chance of ever becoming. <laughs> Becoming prime minister. Yeah, what what happened to Farage? In your opinion, Ian? Well, he did a deal with Boris Johnson in 2019, didn't he? Where he wouldn't compete in in most of the um, tight, close seats, so that Boris Johnson got a large majority, and then he faded away, didn't he? And then then he sort of almost retired from politics. He said he was going to retire from politics. I mean, he still makes speeches, but I mean, he's not really campaigning or doing anything. He appears on on certain TV segments moaning about the illegal migrants crossing the channel and stuff like that, and that that Boris Johnson's government wasn't doing anything to stop it. But apart from that, he's not really doing anything that I can see. Yeah, and the stuff I have seen, like in Ukraine, he seems bad. Nigel Farage yeah. does, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it seemed to me like for a while he had what was the start of a legitimate movement. And almost like the Trump thing, that could have been bigger than him, could have been dealing with some of these issues. But he seems to have, that seems to have faded away. And no one stepped up to take over. And and I'm always surprised by that, because I think there's a significant number of people who are sane, and maybe not enough to win nationwide office everywhere, but where they could be in part of the debate. And no one's stepping up, it seems to me. Am I I I off? Why should UK UK taxpayers have to send... Billions and billions of pounds worth of arms and aid to Ukraine when people are going to be freezing to death, for, you know, because they can't afford their heating bills this winter. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's basic, basic common sense. You should look after your own country first, shouldn't it? And how much of this comes down to issues related to the WEF, the World Economic <laughs> Forum? It's got everything to do with it, hasn't it? Everything, it's got absolutely everything to do with it. They want economic devastation. They want recession because then they can bring in their, their, their global reset, can't they? The great reset. Right? And, and it's totalitarian dictatorship. It's total surveillance, 
total no freedom for anybody. There will be uh, uh, electronic documents, electronic ID that they control where and where, where and when you can go anywhere, where you can travel, how you can spend your money with all these digital currencies, all this transhumanism. I mean, they, they're still working to chip everybody with, with some sort of electronic ID, aren't they? That's, that, that's their game. That's their game like they're doing in sweden sweden swedish people are volunteering to get these chips stuck in their hands that control got all sorts of identification on it to open their doors for the office but they can also be used to control their bank accounts and stuff like that once you've lost control of your own bank account that's it isn't it and no you're you're exactly right and i think a lot of people are aware of this through people like david ike they made him aware of it He's made, excuse me, he's made them aware of it. But uh, someone who's sort of a m more mainstream David Icke, it seems to me, would have an audience. Does it make sense, Ian? Yeah, well, it's not just David Icke who's saying all this. I mean, there's dozens of people saying the same thing. They're never going to appear on mainstream media, but they're all over the alternative media sites. Right, so there's dozens of people warning warning about what what the end game is, and what they're trying to do. I mean, once you get digital currency and no cash, then that's the end of freedom and democracy, full stop. Because they they could stop you funding alternative media, so you won't get alternative viewpoints in the media, and, and they can stop you of, funding protests. Like we're in a heartbreak, Ian. Uh, so I've got to end it. But you, Ian Schilling are one of those people. So let me say, Ian Schilling for Prime Minister. There we go. That's my hope. Ian Schilling, great appearance as always. We'll be back on The Backstory. back on the backstory and this is your show that takes you to the truth behind the headlines i'm lee stranahan and this is the backstory now i know you can't vote in england rod but would you agree with me ian Schilling for prime minister yeah no, he'd have my vote right he's a very sane guy and on the wef stuff because we keep coming back to that on the show I think the battle is not against, let me say this, I think a lot of conservatives are fooled. If you ask them who's the biggest enemy, what would they say? The, the WEF. Oh, no, I'm sorry, sorry. The, the Hannity watching, Fox News watching people, a lot of conservatives would say China is our greatest adversary. You agree? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But even those people, if you said to them, do you think China or the WF's a bigger adversary? They would stop and think and go, the WF. Does that make sense? I, I'd say their immediate reaction is China. And the, the then they go, no, the WF. I think more and more people realize the problem is with these unelected groups like the World Economic Forum. You see what I'm saying, Brian? Yeah, no, 100%. Lee. And then these people, they cultivate 
quote-unquote young leaders and spread them across the globe who uh, adhere to their ideology. And they try to put Putin in that category because at one point he was named by the WF. But Putin, anyone who watches what he said the last time he appeared at the WF, he's clearly against that agenda. And it really bugs me when people fall for that and they go, young leader Putin. Have you heard that, Rod? No, yeah, that is a fact that you, you just laid it out. He was a part of that group uh, or aff- affiliated with it. Uh, maybe still, because, I mean, these people are still in power. But um, a lot of people have uh, put it, detailed it out there that, um, you know, once he saw what they were going to do to Russia, that's when he was kind of like, you know what, I'm not with this anymore. Right. And Tulsi Gabbard is another one. And anyone who t- understand how you're being played for a dupe, not you, Rod, but those people, they're getting you to criticize two of the best people in the world on politics, Tulsi Gabbard and Vladimir Putin. I would say are two people who are consistently sane on a lot of the issues we've been talking about. Do you agree, Rod? Oh, yeah, definitely. Tulsi Tulsi Gabbard's definitely, in the last couple of years, she's been trying to cool uh, all this talk of, uh, you know, uh, trying to attack Russia and to try to stop us from getting where we are now with uh, pretty much close to World War Three as we've been in a, in a long time. Yes, and and uh, we've got coming up on this hour, by the way, the great Tyler Nixon, a great way to go into our weekend here on The Backstory. Okay, I said The Backstory, but I didn't mean to. I was going to let you do it, Rod. Command Central, can we get another boom? Okay, God bless you. Rod, what is the name of the show? You listen to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. There we go. That was a little more dramatic. And uh, thank you, Command Central. Uh, And once again, we want to thank all the people who work on the show. Command Central, Rod, and uh, of course, the great guests, and of course, the great audience. And... I expect I would I, I'm getting a psychic premonition that we may hear from Alec Killer soon. You getting that vibe, Rod? Yeah, that might be a safe bet. So let me play something you set Rod up. For, 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 forgive me, just set Alec Killer up. This is another guy who they're trying to get you to not like is Alex Jones. Understand that the people who are propagandists for the new world order, wants you to not like Putin and not like Tulsi Gabbard. And so the way they get you is that they make you suspicious of them. Maybe they're not really on your side, right? And the way Alex Jones, they try to get you to not like him, is they try to make him have cooties. They try to say, if you like Alex Jones, you're in favor of killing kids at Sandy Hook, right? Now, Alex Jones is someone who I'm proud to call a friend. We've become friendly over the years. And Alex Jones recently said he loved me. And that's true. But uh, I have the text to prove it. But do you agree, Ron, that they want to make you not like Alex Jones and they hold him to a standard that no liberal politician is ever held to? There's no liberal politician. Do you know who's 
made mistakes in their life? Do you know what person has made mistakes, Rod? Uh, everyone. Right. Everyone. Everyone's made mistakes. So if you're trying to get people to not like someone, what you do is you find a mistake. Now, Alex made a mistake talking about Sandy Hook, but he points out he wasn't the first one to do it. And he's admitted it, and he said he's sorry. Right, Rod? You've heard him say he's sorry. Correct? Yes. Um, yeah, he said it multiple times over the years. Now, I'll tell you who never says they're sorry. The other side. The people from the WEF or Democrats, mainstream establishment liberals, never say they're sorry. And we're actually going to go first with the Ron Johnson clip, Command Central, then Alex Jones. So got that? Ron Johnson first. So here's an example of Democrats never admit. They never say they're sorry. And Rod, would you bet $1,000 on many things in life? If I said there's a football game on tonight, would you bet $1,000 on the Eagles or whoever? Would you bet a thousand bucks? My guess is not, because that's a lot of money, right? Yeah, no, no, no. Unless they were playing like a high school team, then yeah, of course, <laughs> I bet a hundred thousand. Now, would you bet a thousand dollars that the Biden laptop is real? Oh yeah, for sure. I bet money I don't even have yet. Yes, that's an easy bet, because a hundred percent the Biden laptop is real. So if someone was stupid enough to bet that, take their money. And Ron Johnson points out in this clip that the person who's the ch in charge of the committee had accused the Biden laptop of being Russian disinformation. And this guy, you'll hear it. He won't even apologize. Does that make sense, Ron? He's caught out and Ron Johnson's calling him out and humiliating him. And he won't just say, Mr. Johnson, I was wrong. I admit that. How hard would that be? But they never do it. Never, ever, ever. Right, Rod? Yeah, 100%. And it's only audio, but in visual, when you see this guy's face, it's almost like if you were doing a play and uh, the other person's doing, <laughs> you know, the other person acts out of their role. You know what I mean? So he's kind of looking at uh, Ron Johnson like, hey, come on, don't do this. Don't do this now. <laughs> well, let's play the audio. Ron Johnson humiliating a Democrat. Hit it. Day or two after Senator Grassley and I issued our report, based on U.S. documents, interviews with U.S. persons, our now committee chairman, who was then committee ranking member, issued a press release said Peter's widened response to a Republican effort to amplify Russian disinformation. He said, I generated a partisan political report that is rooted in Russian disinformation. Mr. Chairman, do you want to retract that false allegation now? Now that we know that the Hunter Biden laptop is accurate that there has not been one scintilla of information provided in Senator Grassley's and my report that has ever been refuted. It was 100% accurate. And yet you, as ranking member of the committee, accused me repeatedly of soliciting and disseminating Russian disinformation. Do you want to retract your false allegation here that you issued in your press release on September 23rd? Um, no, let's just focus on what we're trying to do. Well, I'm focusing on this okay. because this is exactly the type of harm we can do to our political process when you have these big tech companies engaging in political debate, censoring one side of the political spectrum and amplifying the false allegations of another side.
There's Ron Johnson, and you heard it. The Democrat cannot admit to an error. But the standard that they hold Alex Jones to, despite the fact that Alex Jones has been historically right on so many things, and he busted into Bohemian Grove and exposed the truth about that, and that Alex Jones is telling the truth about the WEF every day. Now, this is from Alex Jones, his trial that he's facing from the Sandy Hook parents. And listen to how the lawyer grandstands against him. And this is why I love Alex. Rod, you've heard this clip. Alex doesn't back down, does he? No, not at all. And this guy's not as bad as the one that happened in Texas. I thought he was even worse. But uh, yeah, these are two awful lawyers trying to go after Alex. And Alex is saying, look, I've apologized. You'll hear Alex, but you'll hear the lawyer freak out. And at the end, the judge, who's a woman, gets involved a little bit. That's what you're going to hear. So let's hit it. Alex Jones not backing down. Support Alex Jones and his new book, The Great Reset, the best-selling book in the country, despite the empire of lies. Hit it. I mean, I said years ago, I thought Sandy would happen. Robin Parker's sitting right here. He's real, isn't he? Yes. And for years, you put a target on his back, didn't you? Objection in the form of that judge. Oh, well, I mean, I... Didn't you? I have better have said his name. It's true. I haven't said other people's names, but here they are. You put a target on his back, just like you did every single parent and loved one sitting here. Did you? No, I didn't. No, you didn't. That's argumentative. There's no it's speculative. There is no foundation for it. And it's inappropriate. To Let's move on. These are real people. You know, Mr. Jones, I think you just told them to move on. Just like all the Iraqis, but you liberals kill and love. It's just, you're unbelievable. You switch on emotions on and off when you want. You're, it's just ambulance chasing. Why don't you show a little respect? Objection, Judge. I think that if you get what you give in this courtroom. Objection. You have families in this courtroom here that lost children, sisters, wives, moms. Is this a struggle session? Are we in China? I've already said I'm sorry hundreds of times, and, I, and I'm done saying I'm sorry. I didn't regenerate this. I was the first person to say it. American gun owners are like being blamed for this as the left did, so we rejected it mentally and said it must not be true. And but I legitimately thought it might have been staged, and I stand by that, and I don't apologize for and, it. And, and don't apologize, Mr. Jones. Please don't apologize. No, I've already apologized to the parents over because and over again. You know, I don't apologize to you. Objection. Don't apologize to you. You're going to do it again. Objection, Judge. Or no, objection. No, no. Objection, argument. Don't apologize to you. Well, it's hard for me to get a word in edgewise. It is, but I think there's client, one officer in the court and one witness or witness in so an officer in the court heard the objection. And I can't rule on your attorney's excuse me. Sorry, I can't rule on your attorney's objection. So you know what I love the most about that clip? That Alex Jones brought up the number of people killed in the Iraq war. He brought up the fact that liberals said nothing. A million Iraqis, as the great George Galloway has pointed out so eloquently, a million Iraqis died at the hands of the U.S. And some children died before they even knew they were Iraqis, as Galloway put it. Galloway, some, some look up 
George Galloway Senate Iraq. If you've not seen that footage on YouTube, but it's brilliant. And I love the fact that Alex Jones brought that up too. Did you like that, Rod? Yeah, and like you said, they never have a, a response. They just kind of just pause and then you know continue on with their next point because they don't want to ever address that. Right, and Alex is the guy who brings it up, and that's why they want to silence him. That's exactly why. And Alex went right after that guy, and he said, I've apologized for it, but I'm done apologizing. You've been in relationships, Rod. You know at a certain point it can happen when— you have to stop apologizing for something because the person is bringing things up only to perpetuate a fight. Does that make sense, Rod? Oh, yeah, 100%, Lee, 100%. And so all they're trying to do is discredit Alex Jones so you won't listen to him on all stuff that he's telling you the truth about. And there's so much stuff that Alex is right on. And the big issues right now, the WEF, for instance— He's wrote a book called The Great Reset, which is the best-selling book in the country. Even though uh, Danny and I, my girlfriend, we were at Costco last night. In, at Costco, the big box warehouse, they have a lot of books. Once again, we didn't see Alex Jones' book at Costco. And they're big. Think about that. Here's the number one best-selling book in the country. But it's not at Walmart. And it's not at Costco. And it's not a target. Think about that, Rod. No, no, for sure, Lee. Uh, um, you, if we go back to 2016, when uh, Hillary Clinton and both Barack Obama attacked uh, Alex Jones during the campaign, that, you know, Alex said that they're going to come after me and they're going to attack free, uh, freedom of speech. I'm going to be their number one victim. He said, they've already, they've already said my name. He said, so they're going after me. And here we are six years later, and they still, you know, he, this book can't be sold at certain stores. If you mention his name, if you were a student and you mentioned his name in school, you might get expelled. Not not if you bring a gun, but if you if you say Alex, you bring in an Alex Jones Infowars shirt, you probably get kicked out of school. Yes, and but as I say, it's it's important, I think, not to lose heart at a time like this. There's lots of bad stuff going on, but I'll say it again: Alex Jones has the best-selling book in the country, so more people than ever are figuring this stuff out. And I'm really seeing that. Does that make sense, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure, Lee. Um, you know, a lot of people, you, let, you know, mothers, you know, they still haven't fixed the uh, formula shortage. And, you know, the media doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Or they, you know, bury it in the headlines all the way at the bottom. But they still have not fixed the uh, formula shortage. And so what is that, about four to five months where there's a shortage of formula for children uh, to feed, uh, for mothers to feed their children or parents to feed their children? And it, it's... You know, I was listening to NPR to prep for the show, and they referred to it as beginning of election season. Remember, I thought we had election day, but apparently it's election season. And one of the places where you can vote absentee is South Dakota, where I am. And in South Dakota, there's a big issue. Recently, 500 parents showed up because they're setting social studies standards. And they don't want an anti-U.S. social studies standard. Now, I'm somewhat mixed on this because I want, on one hand, I don't think we should have an anti-U.S. social studies standard. And by the way, 
I, I'm critical of, of a lot of things the current administration does and that Biden does. And I'm critical of a lot of things I've seen happen. And I'm critical sometimes when he deserves it of Donald Trump. But I do so because I love this country. I love America. And I wish we had more political leaders like Tulsi Gabbard or Vladimir Putin. Because, but, you know, one thing I like about Putin is he doesn't pander to Americans. Do you know did you notice that, Rod? He doesn't try to make Americans like him. No, he gives him, he gives him respect. Uh, I've, I've seen him in multiple interviews say he respects uh, certain aspects of America or what you, what used to be America. Right, and he talked about, for instance, we used to be a net food exporter, and now we're not. But these social studies standards, they're an important issue. For parents, and that's why I'm going to urge people again: if you want to make a difference politically, act locally. Start going to your city council meetings. Start showing up at the school board meetings. This is where you can make an impact. In national politics, it's unlikely you're going to do much. Feel free to do things. I'm out there with my sign saying "Impeach Biden" every day, but I don't have an illusion that me holding up that sign will actually cause his impeachment. I'm just trying to get that thought in people's heads. So act locally. Be aware of the other issues. But where you can make a big difference is local action. Now let's go to calls. 202-521-1320. Great friend of the show, Ingrid in D.C. What's on your mind, Ingrid? Uh, thanks, Lee. I think so. A few days ago, I misspoke. And I said something about the Maidan coup being under the administration of uh, Hillary and Obama. And someone corrected me and said, well, at that time, Hillary was out and it was John Kerry. So I, that's true, but I do think she appointed Victoria Newland. But I want to ask you, how much? Well, no. Sorry, Ingrid. Let me interrupt you to make you more right. The thing that set up the Maidan coup was something called Civil Society 2.0, and anyone can look it up. Civil Society 2.0 was an, a Hillary Clinton initiative that set up all the stuff we're seeing with the activism in the Maidan. So, 100%, Hillary Clinton set up that. But it was executed under Kerry. Does that make sense? Yeah. And my question, which is maybe obvious, the answer is, how much difference do you think there is between the Clinton machine and the Obama machine? So I, I, I actually think there's a huge amount. And this is non-conspiratorial. It's factual. How long has Hillary Clinton been involved at a national level in American politics. How many years? Gosh, now 30 or something? Is it more than that? I think it's more than that if you include her time as Bill Clinton's time as governor, because he was dealing with national politics somewhat as governor. Does that make sense? So that goes back to the, you know, the 80s very soon after he graduated college. 
So because the Clintons have been involved in politics for decades, almost 50 years, they have had a time to build a machine, whereas Barack Obama has been involved in national politics maybe 20 years. I think I'm right about that. Does that sound right, Ingrid? Okay, I'll, sure. So, so this is my point. If you said, we got two people, one of them's been involved in something and making contacts with people for 50 years, and one's been doing it for 20 years, who's going to have the greater experience and bigger Rolodex? It's obvious. So I would say the Clinton machine has people who go back to 1969. Strobe Talbot, who heads Brookings, where Yashchenko worked. I'd like to point that out because other people don't. But Clinton has known Strobe Talbot since 1969. He's known some of the people like Blumenthal uh, since the early 90s. And it's simply Obama hasn't had the time. He hasn't been able to. He hasn't been in politics long enough. So the Clinton machine is much deeper. Does that make sense, Ingrid? Of course, yes. And so that, that would be my answer, that it's not through lack of trying. But I think that it's the same thing. Do you, do you know who else has a big machine? Joe Biden, because he's, uh, again, nearly 50 years of experience. So he was meeting with people, Ukrainian activists, in the 80s. Well, no one was paying attention to Ukraine. And a lot of those connections have played through to this day. People Biden knew on the Ukrainian activist side in the 80s are still around. So people, because obviously... He's old and showing his age. People like to say, no, Biden's not in charge or whatever. Biden is more involved than you're giving him credit for, if you say that. Biden, he is a deep, deep, deep Rolodex. And he, people like a guy named Bavitsky, he was meeting with in the 80s. And Bavitsky was almost the prosecutor general in Ukraine after Biden got the old prosecutor general thrown out, something he bragged about. So don't don't underestimate Biden's role in all this. I'm not saying you are, Ingrid, but I'm urging people to not underestimate him. Okay, did that answer your question? Well, actually, as you were talking, I realized you answered a different question, saying that it was a much bigger machine the Clintons had and what I was really asking was if you thought philosophically and um, ideologically there was any uh, distance between them. Well, so, no. In fact, what I would uh, characterize both the Clintons and the Obamas as radicals at heart who become establishment politicians. There's no question Hillary Clinton, and when he was on the show— uh, I asked him about this, uh, Dick Morris, whether he thought Hillary was a radical. And he said no. I think there's some evidence that she was. 
in the 60s. And it would, it would make sense to be radical in the 60s. It's not a surprise. But Hillary Clinton supported Black Panthers, and it's clear that she did. And Obama was a trained community organizer. And I think Obama, from reading his biography and stuff like that, he talks about at Occidental College, he studied Fanon. They're both people who learned the rule of Saul Alinsky. Alinsky said, let me quote the Beatles on this. The Beatles didn't quote Alinsky. But there's a line from Revolution where they say, if you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't going to make it with anyone anyhow. That's not me singing, by the way. That line sums up a lot. What the Beatles are saying there is, if you present as a radical, a lot of people won't go along with you. Whereas, and Alinsky said, basically, if you want to affect things, cut your hair and put on a suit and tie. Now, I think clearly both the Clintons and the Obamas did that. They learned the lesson, if you want to affect change, really what you have to do is stop presenting as a radical because that doesn't appeal to as many people. But if you're and it's present as an establishment, you know, literally, you can see Clinton cut his hair, shaved his beard, and put on a suit. Then he became elected governor of Arkansas. So I think that Obama and Clinton did that same thing. Does that make sense, Ingrid? Yes, but as you say, they also became co-opted into actually becoming what they were pretending to be. And But they never renounced their radical beliefs. They never said, well, the Panthers were murder slugs. They, they just deny their history. And I, this is why I get irritated when I see people on the left deny history. Again, you can have a spin, but you can't have your own facts. Huey Newton, in fact, killed Crystal Gary, a prostitute. He, in fact, killed her and then tried to have the, the witness killed. So I'll talk to Tyler about this. It's a great question, Ingrid, and thanks for the call. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about the real radical left and how they hide what they really believe with the great Tyler Nixon on The Backstory. on the backstory and on the radio in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now on a Friday to take us into the weekend is our good friend, Tyler Nixon. Hey, Tyler, how you doing? Good, Lee. It's good to be with you, as always. Great, great conversation so far. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to getting into it with you. And let me try to pronounce your name a little better. I felt I was a little slurry there. Tyler Nixon. Is that better? That's fine. It sounded good the first time. Uh, okay. I would 
just uh, if I may weigh in on your last uh, little exchange with uh, was it Gretchen Indeed. Greta? Um, yeah, I would say with Ingrid. 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 Where did I get Greta or Gretchen from? Because <laughs> it sounds like someone um, who makes lingonberry syrup. Either way, but go ahead, Chowder. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, you know, interestingly. The Clintons run deep. Obviously, Hillary Clinton was part was fired from the, uh, I believe, the Senate Watergate Committee for pilfering documents and, uh, you know, trying basically violating people's rights. I mean, so her 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 ooze goes back pretty far. And obviously, they were hooked up at uh, at uh, Yale Law, which is to me the epicenter of some of the most despicable people in politics and uh, public policy today and, po- and government. Um, it's just like the, you just immediately know. If they're Yale Law, that they're that you know they're part of the problem. That they're part of this, uh, you know, the sort of the inner super would be super government, the uh, um, you know the leftist cabal. And then it's it holds true everywhere. I mean, even Roger Stone's prosecutors, I think two out of two out of four were Yale Law people. Um, so you know, it's really just uh, it's an epicenter. So um, I would say this. No, um, not interestingly, Tyler, you know, absolutely right. But I'm going to say, don't give short shrift. To Harvard Law, Agreed. oh no, of course not. That they produced Obama, so um, no, absolutely yeah. no. It's a, yeah, pretty much those top tier, those two. I would say, and and interestingly, I mean, you, it's very rare to see anyone ever, at least in the last century, that was appointed to the Supreme Court that wasn't from one of those two law schools. Um, if you can look it up, but anyway, what I was going to say was, you know, interestingly, the the Clintons go way back, but here's the thing about Obama. Obama is. And I believe it has always been a confection of the CIA and the intelligence community from get go. Agreed. He was groomed. He was brought along. So what he brings with him in his political machine, I think, is what the Clintons probably have, but and maybe developed, but never like you know on on the level of Obama, which is the entire intelligence community's uh, sort of the, the the murky aspect. You know, the 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 John Brennan's that ilk. He has them behind him and you know basically running him in many ways um but or it's a symbiosis i would say um and it's interesting because it reveals the point you're making let me underline a little bit i'm sure you're aware of obama attending school his school in elementary was the punahou school in in hawaii you're aware of that tyler I'm not. I mean, I'm aware vaguely of his background, but I do know that he. I don't believe he was born in the United States. In fact, he even he even himself, when he was uh, introduced as a uh, as an exchange student, basically just about. I think it was at Columbia or somewhere. There's a record of him. You know, he's from whatever. Uh, where where was he? I forget where they say he was from in uh, uh, in uh, Africa. But you know, he he himself held held forth as that when it was convenient for him. And there's certainly a lot of strangeness around his birth certificate and all, despite, uh, you know, despite the attempts of the left to vilify anyone who dares raise that issue. But go, go ahead. I'm sorry. And I was going to say the Punahou School is the Harvard or Yale of elementary schools in Hawaii. Is a school huh. that it was the plantation owners and the Hawaiian royalty. It was a school for them. Does that make sense? And there's yeah, no explanation sure. Given Obama's background, which is humble on paper, there's yeah. no way he should have been at the Punahou School. Does that make sense? And by yeah, the way, absolutely not. His parents' connections alone, his mother in particular, 
connections to the intelligence community and you know Barry Sotero, Sotoro, whatever it is. The, the, you know, these people were not just these weren't just random people that came together. They were definitely uh, deeply connected, um, and and you know Obama's a product of that. And there's no question in my mind that he's just he's been groomed all along. Uh, he's like, you know, almost like their, uh, like I said, their confection. And the thing about it is he brings that. Um, and I would comment on Biden. You said Biden has, uh, you know, has has been around. Biden's been around, but Biden has never been respected by the American political establishment, nor probably the intelligence community. He has maybe developed connections overseas where people took him seriously because, you know, here's this, you know, he would come in. They don't know as much about him as people wouldn't say Washington. But, you know, the more you get to know, got to know Biden uh, over his political career, the less respect and credibility he would have um, from any given, you know, person who who is in the sort of the, the superstructure, the power structure, what have you. Um, but what he was showed himself willing to do, and particularly through uh, 9-11, um, and as well up to 9-11, say, and into that post 9-11 era is he's willing to be a stooge for whatever their agenda is. And that's exactly what we see in his presidency now. He's just a, a paper. He's a cutout for their agenda. He's willing to do or say anything that they direct him to or that is, you know, to, to uh, I mean, he's, he's totally obsequious and always has been, you know, sucking up to that to that. Uh, you know, kissing the rings, uh, so what have you. And finally, uh, he's in a position, you know, that it got him to where he needed to be because if he was in any way deviant from that whatsoever and wasn't willing to be the complete and total stooge that he is, he would never be where he is right now because he was never taken seriously. He was considered a blowhard and just a, you know, a, a, a lightweight. And he still is. I mean, you know, but, but, uh, he's willing to do their bidding. In fact, wasn't he meeting with general, uh, uh, Mahmoud, I guess it was on who was the uh, Pakistani general. He was, he was actually meeting with on 9/11, something along those lines. I mean, he was, you know, the, he's one of these guys. He's like an errand boy that they that made it to the top basically um, by default. So you know, he has no and, political machine. Obviously, you know, Hunter Biden is his political machine. Well, let me let me go back to uh, Obama just because I think you'll find this interesting. Gerhard Andrew Breitbart referred to Obama. And you'll get this reference. Breitbart viewed Obama as the golden child. Remember the Eddie yeah. Murphy movie? I sure do. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it fits. Here's an, well, I'll just interject something. <laughs> he called himself a community organizer, right? And I said, yeah, translation, communist agitator. Yes, exactly right. And that's what Solinsky was about. There's a reason it's rules for radicals. It's for radicals. And uh, uh, with with Biden, you're talking about Breitbart and the Golden Child. Yeah, yeah. So you know, with with Biden, uh, the significant thing I view, and no one ever talks about this, is Senate Resolution three two two from two thousand five. That was for Russian billionaire Mikhail Khodorkovsky, at one point the richest man in Russia was connected to the Rothschilds. And that was a Senate resolution, you know, one of these BS, meaningless, apparently, where they say a resolution in favor of something or another. You right. know, those kinds of... The sense, sense of the Senate kind of thing. Right, exactly right. And it was sponsored by Joe Biden, and he brought in Barack Obama in 2005 as a co-sponsor. And the other co-sponsor 
was John McCain. So what hmm. you see there is Biden, Obama, and McCain being on board with an anti-Putin Russian billionaire connected to Jacob Rothschild. And I'm saying that was basically Obama's ticket to the dance. The Obama bringing him in is exactly why we never talk about this. But how did Biden end up as the VP pick for Obama? In a year when they were trying to promote youth and new people, he's an odd choice. Does that make sense, Tyler? Yeah. But yeah. Well, you know, I, I would say this. I would say it was similar to ultimately to me. It comes down to why he chose Biden chose Kamala Harris, which is that. Uh, yes. She is. She is. She is. She is willing to be as corrupt as he is, and as 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 basically pliable, and would be would would be astute. Would you know go along with whatever they go along with, and whatever goes on, she's not going to be one to stand apart from it. And and what I think is Biden was that to Obama. Yes, and the base. I also think. That someone basically said to Obama, Biden's a guy. You want to pick that guy. Do you agree that probably someone put that in his ear? Oh, well, I'm sure. I'm sure Biden, you know, probably saw that coming and also was was uh, sucking up to him as much as possible when he was in the Senate. And then they probably made some level of connection on the campaign trail when, when there were the, the debates for the 2008 nomination. And uh yeah, I think probably Obama had other ideas, but I think I think it was sort of said to him that this would be the acceptable, uh, you know, VP choice in the establishment. Yes. In other words, this guy's this guy's going to fit fit all our needs. He's not going to he's not going to raise problems. Or he's not going to be a rogue on us, at least in the sense of all the all the dirty, you know, the corruption going on. Yes, and, and the, he's a balance in the sense of I don't view Obama. Forgive me, I don't view Biden as at his heart. A radical, but Obama clearly was a radical communist, and so was Hillary and Bill. Do you agree? Yeah, and and I think what you see in Biden, where he meets with them, is not the radical his his radicalism is is, is in his authoritarianism, not so much in yes. ideologically. Indeed. It's more in terms of being a statist, you know. And the people who were radicals at one point, you know, they don't like to talk about it. I, I could conceive of someone saying, Hillary Clinton, let's say, if she were an honest person saying, you know, when I was in my 20s at college, I knew Solinsky, but I gradually realized that I didn't agree with radical politics, so I became more mainstream. But she never does that. She lies about it. Have you noticed that, Tyler? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she was she was the radical element, or the uh, you know the far further left element within uh, Bill's administration. I mean, he was then with the DLC. He came from a southern state. He was very much a sort of a, you know compromiser with the Republicans at the time. He was you know willing to uh, you know it was more he he was realized that as they said uh, you know the it's it's the economy stupid. I mean that was the you know Hillary Clinton would never say something like that. I mean you know it's all about this, the. The social, political, and ideological agenda, and the, the economics be damned. Um, and yeah, so she was definitely she's like an unreformed communist, really, but but a hidden, a covert one who thinks you know the the idea that she is somehow some moderate is, is laughable. But then again, I mean, the people in uh, in the party are so crazy now. She actually does start to look just by age 
less radical, I guess, or less uh, extreme by comparison, though. But she's still way out there. And yeah. she's just a criminal. I, she's just a ruthless psycho. I mean, really. Now, speaking of ruthless psycho, let's talk about I'm sure you have you seen the new Hunter Biden videos, the the water slide, for instance, the water slide. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm OK. Try to avoid looking at that stuff. It's just so depressing, you know. Well, the, this is Hunter Biden sliding down a water slide at a four thousand dollar a night Malibu Airbnb, basically four thousand dollars a night. And of course, Hunter Biden being Hunter Biden. You know, if you were at a $4,000 a night, and can you picture ever doing that? I can't. I can't picture I, paying no, four I grand. No, I, like, I live like a pauper, practically. So, you know, to me, I'm, I'm happy to meet my rent every month. Um, and, you know, it's just, uh, it's just sickening. I mean, it really is that this, you know, and he's so, he, he's been so uh, sort of conditioned to know that he's immune from consequences for anything he does that he can be that brazen and i you know i just hope you know i don't want to see i i don't know i guess years ago i would have said the look you know these guys they, they didn't choose their parents and uh and they've taken advantage of what opportunities came for them now he to me no i view him as a traitorous criminal um you know not the person that i certainly grew up with and knew have known for the years that i did uh and but but you well, know so that's if, that's the bidens I, are the I, bidens are I, animals they're political animals so if i was at a four thousand dollar a night airbnb it would not occur to me you know which we get there tyler and i'd say you know what this place needs crack and crack horse I, <laughs> that would not occur to me and that's what and and then you go, okay, bring, bring crack horse on and hold the camera, Tyler, because I want to get some pictures of me going down the water slide naked and smoking crack. And that's what the footage is. And it's nothing shocking. By now, it's almost boring. Does that make sense? And Yeah. And interestingly, you know, I've always thought, here the Bidens, you know, Joe Biden used to preach all about, oh, it's public service and, you know, blah, blah, blah. He used to somewhat, you know, mouth that. But but I think Hunter Biden reflects what they're really about at the core, which is just absolute narcissistic, psychopathological, self-service, self-dealing and self-grandizement, self-promotion. And Joe Biden's always been that. And it's always been just sort of, you know, sort of tertiary, I guess, that he would, uh, you know, serve the public anyway or of any sort of uh, altruistic or charitable impulse. I mean, you know, the Biden children, I'll say at least for Ashley, the, the daughter is is working, you know, has been doing like social work and justice reform, things like that. She's trying to do something meaningful and I'll give her credit where credit's due. Um, whereas, you know, Hunter has just been absolutely uh, just a hedonistic monster chasing uh, every thrill, every indulgence, every bit of, I mean, you know, you think of the what these kids could have done and Bo was sort of heading that direction, but he he blew it too, and he was attorney general. He didn't do anything to reform anything. Uh, he just was a placeholder waiting to be the senator. And you know, they, they, the people with that influence, they could have done some good things in this world, you know, for charity, for help to to improve the lives of you know, their fellow citizens, whatever, whatever have you. I don't care what it is, just the influence, the ability to bring people together for the right reasons. And they just, you know, in particularly Hunter's case, have done the exact opposite. I mean, this, when has this man done a thing, single thing for anybody except himself, even going back to, I mean, years back? Uh, well, I'm not going to get into, the, into, into sort of well, personal I'm gonna stories. Compare, 
Hunter, Hunter Biden to Bill Clinton. And feel free to get into personal stories. Uh, Hunter, Hunter Biden to Bill Clinton. I once heard about Bill Clinton. He's the kind of guy who became governor so he could bang a, a waitress. Does that make sense? The Bill Clinton's yeah. the kind of guy yeah. who got power so he could sleep with people like Paul Jones, who was a low-level employee. He liked the fact that he had the power. And with Hunter Biden, do you know what? I'm sure the thrill for him was this is a $4,000 a night place, and I'll bring cheap crackers there. Because he does not go, he does not spend $4,000 on a hooker. Does that make sense? He spends yeah. 100 bucks on a hooker. He, he likes defiling things. Yeah, well, here, and, here's what it is, is, it, is no one respects things, uh, you know, when, the, when it's just handed to them. When you've earned nothing, you respect nothing. When it's all just handed to you and you have no accountability, of course, this is the, the consequence of it. I mean, he's just, and, and to the point where in deep down he resents it because he's put in this position, despite all the, and if, I think he figures to himself, you know what, if I'm going to be stuck in this position of being my father's bag man, being the international criminal uh, who puts these, you know, puts all this stuff together to sell my own country down, down the river and my, my fellow citizens to these, uh, you know, these foreign uh, uh, criminal uh, oligarchies, then, then I might as well just enjoy, I might as well just totally indulge myself thousand percent all the time. And, and to the point of even the resent gets to the point of, of being like, mocking in a, in a sense or or uh what's the word it's like purposely disrespectful and degenerate you know just like embarrassing dad whatever i don't even care you know i think that's really what it is there's a, there's a lot of pathology going on there i think uh no, you know, no in his psyche. that's why i bring it up because because i think it is very dangerous it's a very dangerous it's not just self-destructive it's very dangerous to have that person close to the president does that make Absolutely. sense because yeah. Oh, and especially when you know. Have you heard is the 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 audio where he's like sitting there talking to some reporter, saying, you know, my father thinks I'm the you know I'm the smartest guy in the world, or or I'm the god to his you know something. It's just this really really off the charts. I mean, scary kind of how Biden, Joe Biden, it, you know, he can con manipulate Joe Biden into any position he wants him to be. You know, his son, in other words, can do this, uh, and. But it's not. It doesn't have. It doesn't have anything like. Let me. Let me do good things for the world. No. It's like you know. Whatever. Whatever is. I, I can. I can get any result I want if I tell my father that's what I want, kind of thing. And uh, you know, unfortunately, Biden, I think, has a weak sort of weak spot there with having you know not been there for his kids really so much after their mother was killed. Uh, you know, been a, a ruthless, driven careerist, uh, regardless of his you know nonsense about oh I came home on the train every night yeah sure you did joe yeah that was that that was i mean i you know i knew that that was that those kids were raised by their their aunt valerie uh and probably their uncle jimmy more than anybody um until jill came along and she was sort of um you know she was she was there all right but i mean it wasn't the same as having in those early years your father and mother or just even your father present especially in the absence of your mother um but I would like to, if yeah. we could, move on to Alex Jones for a few minutes, if that's possible. Yeah, around. yeah, go ahead and talk about that. Well, oh, you know, here's just, the thing. Let me just cap this with one thing, and you can just say yeah or no. But I think the other place this comes out is Hunter Biden's relationship with his brother, Bo. I think he really resented his brother, Bo. That's I my don't cap. think he resented 
I don't think he resented Bo. I think it was more um, he resented the position he was in relative to Bo. Okay, he didn't resent Bo personally because he knew that Bo was not right. put in that position either. Bo was fulfilling his natural place in the family and his would-be destiny. Right. So, so you phrased it better than me, uh, but it's essentially what I meant. But okay, the, so Alex Jones, Tyler. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I would say about Alex. I mean, he, you can know a man by the enemies he makes. And, you know, his enemies are the worst people in the world. I mean, really, that, and they're the most despicable. And I just loved I, – I haven't gotten to that stage. I've been watching the uh, replays of the, the trials uh, – or his testimony, I should say. And just this, this – you know, he, he called it – I love that he called it an ambulance chaser. And that's exactly what he is and exactly what these yes, attorneys are. They're, they're just total – they are more exploitative than Alex Jones could ever be. With regard to these families, and that's that's the that's the you know the, sort of the irony of it all, um, and you know he just makes an easy target to them, um, and it's and it's sad that more people don't defend Alex Jones because he's been right and he nailed these people and he exposed the, these trash these uh, you know from the top to the bottom. I mean he's had their number for decades, um, and he's never been wrong really about about the the essence of the the globalists of the deep state. Of the the political players who uh, you know from the Clintons to Obama to Biden, you know he's nailed it to the to to the T all along, and that's why he's so dangerous to them because he's you know it's unfiltered truth and they're not gonna they're not gonna get him ever to moderate or uh, to um, a massage or otherwise tamp down his message and and you know it's it's that's why they're, they've thrown everything at him and they're trying to bankrupt him and you know they've got this I'm sure this whole uh, uh, sort of uh, cabal of just lousy uh, ambulance chasing legal practitioners, whatever lawyers, whatever you wanna, whatever term you want to use for for this ilk, um, who seem to revel in trying to destroy him and, and nitpick all this stuff about him. It's like, give me a break. And I loved how he shot back about you know the liberal. I mean, he's probably he could have pointed to a million things, but saying you didn't care when a million Iraqis were killed. And it's just, you know, they're sitting there trying to hash through his in, in, inner, inner. It's like, well, how about we have this type of scrutiny over at Media Matters? We would be shocked. People would be blown. Alex Jones, once again, would look like a, a damn altar boy compared to these people, you know, and, and any of them. I mean, you pick any of these any of these front front groups, any of these leftist, uh, you know, part of the larger leftist, not to mention the intelligence community, quote unquote, intelligence community, the CIA, the NSA, the, the crimes committed, the dirty, disgusting things that have been done to innocent people. And, you know, Alex Jones is frankly uh, a saint compared to them. So, you know, I, I stand with him. Well, and, Nobody's going to, I don't give it, I don't give a defense. crap what anybody says at this point. You can, you can, you can write me off to oblivion because I'd rather stand with a truth teller like him, despite his, you know, his, his, uh, he has his, definitely has his, uh, his, um, weak points, you know, his, his, sometimes he's over the top. Sometimes he's not right. But when it comes to the core, the essence, he is just spot on and he needs to be heard by many, many more people. And I think he's growing in respect amongst the grassroots more than it will ever be let on. I agree. I love Alex. I said, I'm proud to call him a friend. But when you know stuff that Alex knows, that Operation Northwoods is real and stuff you know about the Kennedy assassination, when you find out that stuff is real, it makes it very hard for you to go, well, there's no way that would happen. 
it's impossible. Does that make sense, Tyler? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like I don't get these people who try to dabble, and that's that's why that's what. Let's face it; that's what their uh, their their um, secret sort of not weapon or strength is that is that the things they do are so monstrous and so over the top that it it literally you have to flip. Uh, your entire view of the world. You can't sort of dabble in it. You can't think, oh, well, you know, that's fine. They killed Kennedy. That's fine. They engineered Watergate to get Nixon out. That's fine. They tried to assassinate Reagan uh, unsuccessfully. That's fine. They engineered these wars, but, you know, and keep going. And, you know, there comes a point at which, like, holy crap, we have a criminal uh, syndicate running, you know, that's taken over our government. I mean, it's like people still don't want to go there. They still want to think of these things in isolation. And, you know, Alex Jones represents, frankly, the the realization that no, no, this is this is real, and these people's plans for you and for your family and for everyone else are are horrifying and diabolical. And, and you know, I don't think people are. Because I, I, I want to get your answer to this, uh, a, a short one. Do you believe that Kennedy assassination happened in public to teach people a lesson? Uh, yes, um, I think some of them. Some of the more murky people thought thought that thought along those lines, but I think you know ultimately um, it was Lyndon Johnson, you know, who it was the way it was set up. It had to be done that way because they had to have the ability to have the shooters not up close. It had couldn't be anything that was directly traceable, so it had to be in public, open. But yeah, absolutely, I know. I think it was sending a message, and, and they, you know, that was that was part. Of it. it served many purposes, and that was one of them for sure. Yes, in, indeed. Tom Nixon, have a good weekend. Always great conversation with the great Tom Nixon, who understands politics and deep politics. Alex Jones, buy his book just to show the people. And thanks to Ian Schilling for being a great first-hour guest. I'm Lee Stranahan. We'll be back on Monday with Rod on the Backstory. 